What's happening, y'all? Zach and Nikki here. Uh, hope everyone is doing well. We are certainly in crazy, unprecedented times, as you've heard a million times before. And that's a little bit of the backdrop of like the theme of Nikki and I's conversation, specifically on kind of how 2020 uh, has disrupted our industry. And I think Nikki is a great example of someone who's made some pivots, who has done a lot of work, both like way pre 2020, but a lot in the past year as well. So Nikki, my guess is most of my audience probably knows you anyway, but introduce yourself if you don't mind. Absolutely. My name is Nikki Veit. It rhymes with might. That's the new thing I've been saying because no how to pronounce my last name. So Nikki Vite rhymes with might. Gosh, what about me? Um, I think the nutshell that I'm going with these days is that I was born and raised in New York. I was obsessed with theater all throughout high school and into college, studied theater, got a degree in theater in college at Ithaca College, eventually moved out to Chicago and lived in Chicago for five years, initially pursuing theater. And literally the gym bug bit me because in 2014, this is my favorite way to describe getting into fitness. I had so much extra time on my hands because I barely had a part-time job. I barely knew anyone in Chicago. And I thought to myself, what do adults do when they have too much time on their hands? They get gym memberships and they go to the gym. So no kidding. That's literally how I got into fitness. I got a gym membership at Lakeview Athletic Club and uh, just started bopping on all those machines, following what the little orange man on the side of the machine told me to do. And literally was that person that just like spent five minutes on one machine, five minutes on the next. <laughs> Um, eventually started cheating on theater with my mistress that was fitness and got really, really into fitness in terms of really bodybuilding and strength training and, and seeing how men kind of stood on one side of the gym while women stood on the other and thought that was weird and started messing around with the, what typically what the dudes were doing. And then, um, you know. That was six years ago. Well, technically it's 2021 now. So I guess that was seven years ago when I first started getting into fitness. And um, to take you to present day, in the summer of 2019, I left Chicago, moved to Memphis, Memphis, Tennessee, where I reside currently. Um, my wife, in fact, was born and raised in Memphis and that's what brought us to Memphis for everyone asking why the hell we are in Memphis. And yeah, I mean, we're probably going to address one of the big questions as to like what my training life has been like in Memphis since I moved here. But um, I've been pursuing fitness 100% as both a kettlebell instructor, barbell instructor, strength trainer, personal trainer, and a, a self-proclaimed weightlifting enthusiast, um, occasional athlete, occasional competitive athlete, but really that's kind of how I feel like I am in a nutshell, like a theater convert to fitness and that impacts every day of my life. Yeah. 
And uh, it also, I think, makes, um, makes your content all the more entertaining because, I mean, you, you give us a, a little dramatic flair with, you know, some song and dance, which oh. I always appreciate. I appreciate that. I appreciate you appreciating it. <laughs> Team always watch to the end. Hashtag. Seriously, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. Well, you know, Nikki, uh, again, um, we, I think, uh, really came into contact and, and developed a, a relationship and, and started communicating right around a pretty big transitional time for you, which is when you were packing up from Chicago and moving to Memphis. So mm -hmm. for pretty much any, you know, fitness professional, I mean, we're, you know, we're more or less, um, you know, <laughs> it's like we're, we're uh, like, like bison, you know, we, we go where the grass is, we go where the water oh, is, changing seriously. of seasons, we change with the seasons, right? So um, in a large, in, in a large aspect, like what we do, what we're able to do in our, really our business is all defined by our clientele base. And yeah. when you're, obviously when you're an in-person trainer, when you're a 100% in-person trainer, that's obviously, you know, got, you know, some, uh, some limitations based on where you live. And so making this, you know, big move as I can, you know, speak from experience, um, that's like, in no uncertain terms, it's like having the, the rug pulled out from under you, and you're up in the air for a couple of days, yeah. and then you land hard on your face, and you figure it out from there. So, uh, um, yeah, so give us a little bit of a backdrop on like what your, uh, what your environment what your gig was in Chicago and then mm. what did you land in at first when you moved to, to Memphis? Totally. Absolutely. I think I started off like every other trainer known to mankind is waking your ass up at four, four 30 in the morning and opening up the gym at five 30 in the morning with that class that surprisingly brought a lot of people. I was genuinely impressed at how many people would show up at a 5.30 a.m. class in the dead of winter in Chicago. Um, you know, it's interesting because in Chicago, I actually did work at three different gyms. I, I started at a boutique, small as you get, like very independent run boutique style gym that offered pretty much only group classes and personal slash small group training. Um, like you weren't even allowed to go work out at the gym on the, uh, on your own. You might be a member of the gym, but you could only attend classes and private training. And I, I absolutely got my feet wet. I didn't have a choice really. You were, I was thrown into the gauntlet and um, I even was working there. I was training there a few months technically before I got my certification as a personal trainer, which I think a lot of trainers can relate to. You kind of like just get thrown into the gauntlet before you feel like you know everything, but it really is a job where you learn by doing. Mm -hmm. um, from there, I ended up expanding to two other gyms. Like all three gyms couldn't be more different from each other. The next one that I went to was Lincoln Square Athletic Club 
which is why I mentioned when I first joined a gym, it was Lakeview Athletic Club. So I ended up working at one of the big boxy type corporate gyms of Chicago, the Chicago Athletic Clubs. And, you know, there is this kind of running joke about trainers working in corporate gyms that like, oh man, you're working for the man and it kind of sucks and it steals your soul. I had a phenomenal experience. To be quite honest with you, I'll say it on this podcast, out of the four gyms I've worked at in my life, that was the best experience. Like they really took your mentorship seriously, like your continuing education. Like what do you want out of your business? What kind of trainer do you wanna be for your clients? Let's support you. Um, and then the third gym that I worked at in Chicago was the ever popular, very famous popular Cheetah Gym in Andersonville. Um, but I worked as an independent contractor, I suppose, an independent trainer where I basically took my private clients there, paid the gym a fee to rent out the space for an hour. And that was my first exposure to running my own business. That's when like, let's see, I think I started working at Cheetah Gym at the very end of 2016. And it wasn't until about 2018 that Zach and I, you and I started talking. And that's when I really made the transition to calling myself an entrepreneur a lot, a lot, thanks to you. I will always owe you for that. Well, not owe, but be grateful. Um, and having the vast, ex very, very varying experiences from all three of those gyms started to shape my impression of like, okay, what's next for myself? You know, when you're a trainer, like when you identify as, oh, I'm a personal trainer, that's just the beginning. It's like, well, what do you personalize in and where do you work and how do you market yourself and who do you enjoy working with and who are you sometimes not stuck with, but like who ends up attracting to you working with, whether you're asking to niche out in that group or not. Um, and those three gym experiences, I, if, if, if any trainer could be that, if any trainer could have that experience of being at so many different levels, that would be phenomenal because you learn so much of like what it actually means to identify yourself as a personal trainer. Um, but then, you know, at the end of, honestly, at the end of 2018, right when you and I started talking is when I knew we were moving to Memphis. I just hadn't really told anyone yet in Chicago. We wanted, you know, we just wanted more bang for our buck and Memphis was able to provide that and just a, a very, very different community that we wanted to grow closer with in Memphis. Um, and um, so, yeah, as soon as I started saying, okay, we're leaving Chicago, we're entering Memphis, I started checking out the fitness landscape in Memphis and man, oh man, is Memphis different than Chicago. I mean, Chicago is extremely saturated, right? Like if you really wanted to be known as a kettlebell trainer in Chicago, which is what I wanted to start being known as. Yeah, you know, it's like, shoot, what's the expression? Like, uh-huh, small fish, big pond, right? Mm -hmm. Like there are, there are several gyms that are kettlebell gyms in Chicago, which is awesome, you know? And I wasn't even working at one of them. So I was like, if I even want to have somewhat of a name for myself, Chicago is not the way to do it. So that was another reason I wanted to move to a smaller 
community. But I tell you what, upon my first like Google search through the top gyms in Memphis, I, I found slim pickings just because, you know, when you're in Memphis, all of a sudden you're in the South, like, like food and church and like country music are like some of the top three priorities, <laughs> you <Definitely>. know, <laughs> which is like the food is great to speak of that. Um, but the fitness scene was not what I was used to definitely mm -hmm. coming from Chicago. Um, I happened to talk to a few managers of a few different gyms. And from there, I made my choice to, to work at what I would also call not necessarily a boutique gym, but definitely a small independently run gym that where, where the facility was located was on the very top floor of like an event center, like where people typically hold weddings and conferences and, and, and fundraisers. So just based off that description alone, the gym was not a great location. Like no one would walk by it and be like, I gotta check that gym out. Most people, as soon as they enter, they're like, I didn't know there was a gym here to begin with. And you're like, ooh, okay, well, gotta do something about <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, right. Um, but that being said, you know, I really hit the ground running as soon as I moved to Memphis, literally uh, Memorial Day, Memorial Day of 2019. And I started working at that gym like three days later, two days later, and just started getting myself exposed to a whole new bevy of clientele. Like it's just a whole different community. And I will say one of the most strong points of that gym and it's still i mean I, I don't work there anymore and we'll get to that but it's still a very community-based gym like that was mm -hmm. super cool everyone knows each other's names everyone's kind of talking checking in before classes at the end of classes they're kind of rolling their eyes at each other during class because the instructors are telling them to do ridiculous things and i was like wow this is really cool like you know i've worked at some gyms before but Something's different here. There's a community. Mm -hmm. um, but I reached a point where I started feeling, and, and I don't, I don't, I don't want to come off cocky when I say this, but I did start to feel like I was outgrowing that pond. Like here I am, one of, one of the only strong first certified kettlebell instructors in Memphis. At the time, there was one of three of us. And I felt like I wasn't having enough of a landscape, you know, I was, I wanted, I wanted to be doing more than what that gym was allowing me to do, what, what it was enabling me to do. And, and I just realized like, huh, you know what? I think I'm better off managing myself. Like I realized that the direction I wanted to take my career and where I wanted to take kettlebell training in Memphis was not able to be supported. It couldn't be congruent is that the word I'm looking for with with the direction the gym was going in and so sure. then this little thing called the coronavirus struck America in March 2020 maybe earlier we don't know <laughs> and um everything seemed to shut down and ironically enough I was actually in Switzerland in Switzerland on like March 10th 
when the president issued a travel ban from Europe to America and vice versa. And Carly and I were like, shit, we've got to go back to America. Like we weren't even in Switzerland for a full 24 hours. My family's from there. So we were staying with my family <laughs> and we literally got on the first flight back to Memphis. Oh no. Yeah. And that was the beginning of our quarantine COVID experience. Um, and then, I mean, to just put a button on this story, it was hard. It was very hard in March and April, March and April, just like it was, I think, for every single trainer in the world because, mm -hmm. and yoga instructors, right? And like other coaches and athletes, like I, I can't speak for other industries because I'm not actively involved in other industries, but for the fitness industry, like all of a sudden we were being told like stay home and like don't really talk to anyone or touch anyone or like touch public things because we were so afraid that you could get this just by like looking at a door handle, you know, let alone touching it. So it was a very scary time for most trainers. Mm -hmm. I think most every trainer. And I'll tell you what, like call it ambition, call it stubbornness, call it pride. But I just took that as a sign of, well, I guess we're going virtual. And I tried to convert all of my independent clients and my clients that I was training at the gym at the time virtual. I started teaching classes virtual and it actually birthed what is still running today, the quarantined kettlebell club that my buddy Robin Morris, now one of the only other strong first certified instructors in Memphis. There's three of us now. We birthed this virtual kettlebell club. And you know what? That was March, 2020 when we had our first class at the very end of March and we were just doing it for fun. Yeah, and we're still running it today. It's January, 2021. We teach four classes a week and we're still exposing new people and people that have never picked up a kettlebell people that are afraid of picking up kettlebells. And so, yeah, you know, again, call it ambition, call it stubbornness, call it pride, just call it grit. But I was someone that as soon as this pandemic said, okay, you can't leave your house to work. I was like, well, then I'll work from home. Yeah. I'll make it work. So if I can maybe interject and ask, because I am genuinely curious and I don't know if we've like specifically spoken too much about kind of the behind the scenes of Quarantine Kettlebell Club. Um, but I mean, considering that both like you and Robin, you know, don't really necessarily, or at least not at the time, have like a big priority on like a, you know, massive global social media presence or audience. Um, how did you guys start and grow and now have this sustained program like what 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 are you like your your best practices uh i mean like obviously your your promotional strategies because honestly you know i did a kettlebell class like once a week and i did it for hmm. two like maybe three months and it was fun but yeah. it was not for me and, and I, I think it delivered a great value to like a core few people who were like really into it. Yeah. 
but Absolutely. eventually I was like, man, this is, this is, um, not really, not really my thing, you know, not, not, not my lane. Um, as much as I kind of wish it was because it's yeah. such an obvious solution to the problem that we have all found ourselves in. So I'm curious, maybe like, what was the early dialogue between you and Robin? Like, did you know this was something that you want to do long-term? Um, and, and who were like your first, who was like your first core group of folks? And then like, how, how did it progress? It's so funny because looking back on, I, I, I'm sure I could pull up the date somehow because we've kept track of every single person that's come to any single class. Like we have a growing Google spreadsheet. So it must, I know it was at the end of March, um, but it's, we had no concept of this existing more than a month, more than three sure. months. You know, because everyone thought like this pandemic will be over by Easter. Remember that? Like we thought July 4th will come and we'll be out partying, laughing about it. And so I, I owe so much credit to Robin for being, we were exactly on the same page exactly every single day. And I don't think it would have worked if it were just me, to be honest because I would have given myself an excuse or if someone, if I was like, oh, now only two people are joining in, maybe we should, no. Ugh. But Robin and I, mind you, Robin had just moved to Memphis in January of 2020. That's right, that's what I thought. From New Jersey. So, and she, has no, she had no prior experience or community in, in Memphis. So she took an even greater leap than I did. Literally were, one might say up Shit's Creek without a paddle. Like we both had an insane amount of free time on our hands. We love coaching so much. Like we love the feeling of like watching someone's face when the, a movement clicks or they're like, I can't press this overhead. Oh wait, I just did it five times. You know, we love seeing someone land their perfect first swing or snatch. I'm sure other kettlebell coaches can relate to that. And we like, you put those together, you know, time and, and eagerness to train. I mean, we also knew that people were going to slip into a bad spirals of bad habits or depression if they didn't have something that was accessible to them. And um, so we just kind of went out on a limb. She reached out to her independent clients that she had taught previously in New Jersey and also any ones that she was teaching in Memphis at the time. I did the same. I, I connected, I reconnected with my dozens of clients that I left in Chicago and got them on board like ASAP because I had never considered virtual training as an option. Like when I left Chicago, I was like, bye here. I'm going to pair you with this trainer because I'm not leaving you alone, but see ya. I don't know. You know, this is goodbye. And you know, a year later I was training like half of my clients again. It's pretty great. Um, and yeah, so we just hobbled together this kettlebell class. We had it all different hours because again, our schedules were so free. And then people started spreading the word. And I think it was 10 bucks a class at first. And they're always hour long. The structure is still the same. It's an hour long class. We begin with a 10 to 15 minute mobility class. 
Um, Robin is a mobility queen. She loves that stuff. So I usually like let her take the reins when we're teaching together. We get into strength and skill training. Like whether you've never picked up a kettlebell before or you have an SFG cert, you would definitely have fun with these classes. And then we typically started to finish with a conditioning or a core finisher and boom, we were done in an hour and it was 10 bucks for the people to just join via Zoom. We always use Zoom as our video platform and um, it just snowballed from there really. And don't, don't get me wrong. There were some classes where only like two people were signed up. There was a class where we taught it and it was literally only Robin's mother. <laughs> And um, there have been classes where 12, 15 people are shown up. And we've, we've taught people everywhere from the most west is LA and the most east is Switzerland and France. So it's pretty friggin' cool what we've been able to do. In fact, tonight, as this podcast is being recorded, I'm teaching a class with Robin tonight. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, it really just snowballed from there, and it it seemed like the best thing for everyone. Yeah, yeah I, I, therein lies, I think, a pretty important message. You know, I I just had one of the uh, coaches roundtable calls last night, and there was a couple of uh, you know new trainers in the scene. Like one was kind of like thinking about. Um, you know, starting a, a gym, you know, kind of pivoting into fitness full time in that regard. And then uh, another guy who, um, you know, just got certified, like, in the midst of, of, of yeah. a pandemic, and is like, what, what do we do? And it's kind of hard to give blanket advice outside of really what you just said, which yeah. is be in it for the long haul in the sense of just delivering what people need. So you guys didn't know that the pandemic was going to last. Who knows how long it's exactly. going to last. But it sounds like you guys had the attitude of we're going to keep this up for as long as people need it. And, and there's a little bit, and then the flip side to that coin is you can't be entitled to the business just because it's a good model. You have to be okay with the mornings yeah. where one person shows up. Yeah. Or sometimes no people show up. You know, I had uh, a kettlebell class that I did, uh, you know, kind of independently in the context of a big box gym. Um, and it was just something that I stuck on the calendar that was really just an extra thing for my one on one clients because group training like really wasn't a thing. So it was kind of like a pet project, but the only space I could stick it into my schedule was 6.30 in the morning wow. on, I think, Tuesdays. And some days it was just me. Yeah. A lot of days it was just one or two people. Sometimes it was five, six or a dozen. Um, but you kind of have to be okay with that. And I yeah. think that's that's like a, that's like an expectation that I think is important for pretty much anyone in this scene to, to digest. Yeah. And you know, what's a fun fact about me. I hate teaching group classes. How's that? No, seriously. I, I, I've said, okay. 
let me take, let me, let me, let me break that down. I really struggle with teaching group, like general group classes that don't have a specific purpose behind them. And that one that I'm attached to like the kettle, I love teaching a kettlebell group class. I consider them two different things. I really do because I think with group classes at a general gym, you have no, you really have no control. Like people show up late, you know, they want to hop into the box jumps that some people are doing. And you're like, you, you just came in with so much stress and frustration from coming in late. I don't know that you should be going right into box jumps right now. Like, are you even like somewhat warmed up? Um, and I would get so stressed because you get such a varied group of people. You're like, oh, I want to give everyone a good workout, but I want to make sure they're moving safe and properly. But how do you take the time to teach how to squat when, when some people are perfect squatters and some people are hingy squatters and, oh my God, but we're running out of time and they just want to burn calories. Ah, it's so stressful for me. But when I, when it's kettlebells, I'm like, oh, you listen to me now because I'm going to teach you how to press because you don't want to do it improperly because it is a bit intimidating to hold this cannonball with a handle in your hand that's kind of crushing your forearm and wrist. So you're going to be more likely to listen to the instructor teach you how to use a kettlebell. And I will say when I was in Chicago, one of the things I missed the most is I led a small group training program that I titled hashtag girls who lift. And I ran it for three years, like from April, 2016, up until I left in March, 2019. And that was like a six week progressive program where I taught women who basically never picked up a dumbbell or a kettlebell in their life before all the principles of weightlifting, two classes a week, 30 minutes each, 30 minutes each over the course of six weeks. That was phenomenal. Oh, no, wait, I think it was eight weeks, actually. It was six people per class, but it was eight weeks of a, of a program. Um, but to be perfectly honest with you and the folks listening to this podcast, I've really struggled teaching any other group class. If it hasn't been a kettlebell class or hashtag girls who lift, it's not my favorite. It's not what I enjoy doing. But you do that a lot as a trainer, especially when you're starting out. Yes, yes. And if you find yourself in that situation, it's also on you to glean the lessons from it. Yeah. You know, like how can you, you know, how can you be a dynamic presenter, a mm. dynamic coach? Do you know your modifications like the back of your hands? Um, and if and when you don't, that just, that shows you an area for, yeah. for growth, an area of opportunity. So, yeah, I mean, I can, I can point to, you know, what coaching skill I have, I can link it back to really coaching people that I probably a shouldn't have been hmm. B didn't really want to, hmm. um, yeah. because th the folks that are easy to train, like that, that doesn't, that's great. It's maybe a good match in a certain respect, but it doesn't push you as a professional. No. Yeah. So it doesn't challenge you. Yeah. So I, I kind of try to think my, my whole, you know, two sides of the same coin type idea is, is like, you know, give me a challenge, give me some stuff that maybe I don't like 
really wants, but that I know is going to, um, you know, demand and call upon like skills. And then let me use that as fuel to supercharge my, my, my zone, my area of expertise so that I can continue to be an even better coach for the easy clients, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. So it's having, I think that kind of attitude that can, can kind of make any situation a win-win if you, if you had the right attitude about it. Oh yeah. And it's not to say that I haven't learned probably the most from teaching group classes. Cause it's like, how do you, how truly, how do you teach the squat to five different people that you've never met before and are coming from God knows what background with fitness and training and exercise in their life lives and if you can provide enough quick cues you know any type of cues really then then you'll learn significantly you'll learn a lot about how to teach the squat to just about anyone Mm-hmm. So there's value, there's value in it, but I'm, I'm grateful yeah. to be where I am right now, which is like 80 to 90% personal private one-on-one training and like 10% group classes, kettlebell mm-hmm. classes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's been, it's been super cool to see the quarantine kettlebell club still, yeah. still going strong. Yeah. So that's great. So I know, obviously, want to be respectful of your time because, speaking of which, you do have to go get ready for that class. I know, but uh, I also wanted to obviously address the elephant in the room, or maybe the the room itself in question, which is your gym, which is where you are right now. Yes. So, uh, tell us, like, how, like, what it is, how it came about. Of course, and I how you're using it. Here we go. I tried to show the gym and I disconnected the microphone. It's not going to work. <laughs> That's what um, I thought. You know, actually, this picks right back up. This is the perfect timing. So in March 2020, pandemic hits. We launched Quarantined Kettlebell Club. I was training in my dining room of my house. Like at that point, I had like a dozen kettlebells. I don't even know if I had a dozen. No, yeah, no, I had about a dozen kettlebells and some floor mats and that's it. No dumbbells, no trap bar, no squat rack. And I was teaching virtual kettlebell classes. And to be perfectly honest, you know, I was still working at the local gym in Memphis and obviously all those sessions declined. You know, I tried my best to hold on to the clients that I had there and train them virtually. And I think I was teaching about three virtual classes a week at that point for that gym. But when sessions declined and my income declined, I started thinking outside the box. And I was like, ironically enough, I had been planning to build a backyard gym training space since December of 2019. So I was in conversation with multiple, I can't even get into that, multiple construction companies trying to build this gym. Everyone acted like it was easy. And then we talked about it and they're like, oh, that sounds impossible. It's going to cost you a hundred grand. I'm like, no, it's not like, I'm not paying that. So that took a while. Um, But, you know, in June, 
we, we, so we broke ground in April, 2020. I was one of the lucky few that was able to like make some lemon out of lemonade. What? Make some lemonade out of lemons <laughs> when the <laughs> pandemic hit. <laughs> Bloopers. Um, in April, 2020, gym got built in July, like it opened July, 2020. And at that point I had put in my four weeks notice, not two weeks, four mm. weeks notice um, with the gym. That didn't go over super well, but <laughs> it, it had to be done. It was a long time coming. I wasn't feeling very satisfied or um, I wasn't excited. I wasn't excited about training anymore. And that wasn't okay with me. I was mm -hmm. like, ah, something's being robbed from me. I need to claim it back. And so I, I did the self-preservation thing and said, I've got to go and I'm going solo. And yeah, at that time, Quarantine Kettlebell Club was, was kicking off. We were snowballing. I started collecting more independent clients back. I got a lot of my Chicago clients back because they weren't training with anyone. And I told them that I'm doing virtual training. Let's do it. They're like, I don't know. And I said, I promise I'll take care of you. I've been doing this since March. I think I got my handle on this. And so July, 2020, when this gym opened up, boom, it kicked things off. I got in-person clients coming, you know, I, I trained virtually on zoom. And at that point I was like, maybe like a few sessions a week in person, but like 20 sessions a week virtually. Mm -hmm. And to describe my gym space, it's about um, 20 feet by 20 feet. Very, very tall, like, like, like the floor to ceiling, uh, 12 feet. It's very tall, it's, it's a vaulted ceiling. Um, I've got horse stall mats, the only mats to buy for a gym, horse stall mats covering the entire floor. I have a big ass squat rack with a lat pull down attachment and a cable row attachment. I have two barbells. I have a trap bar. I have an assault bike. I have a safety squat bar. I bought even more kettlebells. So I have close to 20 kettlebells now. Um, and a bunch of weights, like a bunch of plates and benches and whatnot. And I am hundred percent solo aside from working 50, 50 with Robin on quarantine kettlebell club. You know, I run my own independent training business. I see clients in person. I see them virtually. I write programs. I, I teach I, the only, you know, I teach group classes virtually right now. Once the weather gets nice, we'll go outside and have our own 901 kettlebell club, which is like the Memphis, addition of the kettlebell club. Um, and yeah, like, like truly that idea of making lemonade out of lemons, you know, I, I, I realized not everyone was in my position where I had the funds to back this up. And I, and I was able to leave, take the risk of leaving my job to go independent. But to be honest, you know, I became a certified trainer. 2015, like my first job as a trainer was August, 2015. I'm, I'm, I'm going on six years of being a trainer. It just makes sense for the trajectory of a trainer. Like if you're still a trainer, if you're still working full time 
as a personal trainer or a strength trainer, whatever you want to call yourself, six years into training, you're probably independent by that point. Like, let's be honest, because this is an industry where there's so much turnover. So many people are either part-time trainers because they're just doing it for money so they can pursue their real passion, or they just give up. They give up or they give in because it's a hard first year. It's a very hard first two years, right? For, for some of us, it's a pretty hard first three yeah. or four, you know? Truly. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, exactly. And, you know, I, I think it's also important to highlight that with all of this, you have, you have matched uh, your passion and your drive and your work ethic with a, a pretty clearly defined unique value proposition. Hmm. You know, it's like, again, you, you came right out and said like, I am a kettlebell trainer. I am yeah. a strength coach. Like, and, and you're, you pull no punches when you say like, I want to help you get strong. And, you know, that, that may or may not be that, you know, it's not unprecedented like these days, like maybe like five or 10 years ago, if you were like uh, a gal who was like, I'm helping other women like get jacked. That yeah. was a, that was a novelty. Now these days, maybe not so much anymore. But the the importance and the power of that is still so key. So you also are very grounded in who you are, what you do, what you offer, and who you offer it mm. for. And and that is something that also sometimes needs to come with time. Sometimes also needs to come with like strategic decision making. Yeah. Um, so yeah, having having that part of the pie there too is uh, so important and, and it can't go can't go understated. I appreciate that. And you know, I would be remiss if I let this podcast go without addressing something like that you brought up. You know, there need to be more female identified trainers training female identified people to get strong AF. I, I, and, 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 and I believe I have conviction that it must be through weightlifting. I have to make that point because just recently I heard of two people who, you know, two women who have worked with female physical therapists that are trying to convince them that weightlifting is bad for you and weightlifting is dangerous. And if you want to get strong, all you have to do is take bar classes and Pilates and you're strong. And I am disappointed. I'm very disappointed mm -hmm. in hearing that because I, I revere physical therapists. I think physical therapists are some of the smartest people in the world when it comes to the human anatomy and the body and, and training people. And to hear that there are female physical therapists out there that are trying to convince their female patients not to weightlift, it really hurts me and it offends me. And quite frankly, like, I, I, like, I view it as an assault on, on women. And I just think that there needs, and, and there, can, there should absolutely be more male trainers 
that are convincing their female friends and clients and family members to be weightlifting. And I think there's this horrible, weird, random image that weightlifting equals CrossFit or weightlifting equals um, bulking up like China, the pro wrestler, rest in peace. Or, or, or Dana Lynn Bailey, if people get that reference. But that's not what weightlifting is. Like weightlifting doesn't have to be a strongman event. You know, weightlifting could be lifting five pound and 10 pound weights overhead and horizontally and vertically and squatting them, you know? And science has proven time and time again that weightlifting wins when it comes to getting strong, getting stronger faster. And, you know, like that's that it's so funny because that's what I started out doing 15 and I didn't think I was all that weird or peculiar or, or unique by doing that. But I got to tell you, like in the four years I've, or the four gyms I've worked at and the dozens of gyms I've worked out at, I, I've seen other female client, female trainers or male trainers working with female clients and doing very simple things. And I'm like, don't you think that person could handle a bit more though? Like, I just worry. I just worry that we're convincing women that weightlifting is not the answer. And I think that a lot of their health concerns and physical concerns could be addressed with weightlifting. And I realize I'm being redundant at this point, but I don't know how many times to say it. <laughs> I really don't. I, I, I've been doing this for almost six years and, and it, I'm still stunned that my female friends and clients are, are still getting the idea that weightlifting might not be safe, you know? Mm. Yeah. Not yeah. Safe to me. Well, it's, it's up to you. It's up to us. Truly. Yeah. Truly. So, yeah, I mean, again, that's, that's part of our job. That's part of our responsibility. And I mean, I think as coaches who are also content creators and, you know, to some degree, like have a goal of building an audience there, there, yeah, there needs to be some sort of a uh, principle backing that up. Mm. So it's like, what, what good theoretically would it do the world if suddenly yeah. you had 50 million followers what would you be able to get across if it's nothing then then that's that's a waste but if it's yeah. something like hey you've i don't know if you want to maybe use this you know language but you've been lied to you know you've you've been yeah. sold a bill of goods and i'm here to to show you the way so to speak and you know again uh i think every good trainer probably has a little bit of that like uh, chip on the shoulder or mission yeah. or something where it's like you know what like this is the way that it needs to be and I'm going to be a bastion for that yeah yeah absolutely I mean I think that's what got me that's why I launched hashtag girls who lift in 2016 in Chicago, because, and again, I, I guess I was the only female trainer. I mean, no, that gym was great. And, and there are so many exquisite trainers there, especially some of the female trainers I miss dearly. Um, but I was just like, weird that no one else thought of this before me. 
like it's 2016. Like I just got in this industry a year ago, you know? Um, how come this gym wasn't doing something similar? I actually got accused of stealing the idea <laughs> from someone else in, in Chicago. And I was like, whoa, like instead of women being like, oh, that's badass that you're also doing something similar that I'm doing at my gym across the city. It was like, oh, did you take that idea? Like, no, but isn't it cool that we're actually doing good for our female clients? Um, yeah, that was weird. But um, yeah, I think, yeah, I, I, I just feel passionately about that. And I'm, I'm totally cool with the idea that some of my clients think that I'm like this genius because I gave them a kettlebell and six weeks later, they feel strong as an ox. I'm like, okay, you can think I'm a genius, but like, it's just science. Like, it's just like what training is in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Hey, you know what? Um, I think, I think that might be a good wrapping up point to, to tease at maybe the next time we chat, I'd be curious to hear more about your training style, both for yourself and for your clients, yeah, how absolutely. you do it you know, like how you do it online, how you do it there in person. Um, so we can, we can chat a lot more about the, the ins and outs uh, of lifting maybe next time. That's a perfect idea. I think there's bounds of material that we could get into just talking about how you train yourself and how you train your clients. That's a really good conversation. Yeah. Well, dig it, Nikki. Well, uh, you know, I'm again, I, I've heard the story. I've I've shared a little bit in your journey in real time, but it's always uh, I, I always leave feeling inspired when I talk to you. It's it's always great to hear, you know, both what's going on uh, with you and your projects and your priorities in real time, but then also hearing hearing your story so far. And um, yeah, I'm I'm super happy that uh, you're in my you know, kind of my inner circle, my network of, of coaches. Yeah. And um, yeah, uh, again, I, I really love to see everything that you're up to. So keep it up. And yeah, we'll, we'll chat again here real soon. But anything that you want to wrap up on? No, no, I appreciate everything you have to say. And I mean, for the folks listening at home on on their commute to the couch, um, I'm very always grateful for Zach Henderson. I would not be the coach I am today without Zach Henderson. You taught me how to be an entrepreneur. You taught me how to market. You taught me how to become independent in this industry. And so for anyone that might be listening because they're a client or a friend or a fan of mine, I, I, I throw everything back to Zach and, and say that like, he's a whiz with the kettlebell and just a phenomenal business and fitness mentor. So thank you. This has been, this has been an honor and a privilege to be on this podcast. <laughs> well, thank you so much for saying so Nikki, and you can bet that I am going to clip this for testimonial purposes. Yeah. So, so there thank you, you go. So much. And let that be a lesson to everyone else out there about the importance of repurposing content. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Always a lesson with Zach Henderson. Hey, you know it. You Quotable know it. quotes. That's it. Well, That's cool, you Nikki, making well, lemons out of lemonade, Zach. I'm That's telling me. you. That's me. I got my lemonade stand right off camera here. So have a great class. Tell Robin cool. I said hello. I, I will. Need to, I need to holler at her um, as well. And um, yeah, we'll get our next conversation on the calendar here soon.
Perfect. Thank you so much, sir. Yes. You have a good one. You as well.